Hello everybody to this new episode of the Road to First Valley podcast. Together with me, I have Anthony to co-host this episode. Hello, Anthony. Hi, how are you doing? And today we are pleased to have here Oriano Romano, who is the head of OECD program of circular economy in cities and regions. And so, hello, Oriana. Hello, hi. One of the main reasons of this podcast is to learn from other people experienced in circular economy and in climate innovation in general and learn from their stories. So, Oriana, I would love to know more about your career. How did you get to, to what you're doing right now, to your uh, mm-hmm. current role at the OECD? And uh, I would love to know what do you do in uh, your everyday life? Okay, thanks. Thanks a lot, Paolo, for this question. Everything started with my PhD in Institution Economics and Law of Public Services at the University of Naples, where I did a dissertation on sustainable waste management. After this, I was a university lecturer in environmental economics in London at the London Metropolitan University and again at the University of Naples. So basically between sustainable waste management and environmental economics, my focus was always about these issues, services, but also in relation to environmental impact and dimensions. When I arrived at the OECD in 2013, I have been first in charge of policy reviews on water, in particular on water governance. And then from water, we moved uh, to different sectors that were actually linked to water. And let's say that the circular economy has a sort of umbrella concept that Mm -hmm existed in the economic literature since the 60s or the 70s but from a political and institutional perspective has been taken into account very recently let's say from 2015 the connection between water energy waste within the circular economy umbrella seems to be really the step forward issues that could have had uh, government in doing better from an economic point of view and also from an environmental point of view. So I created this uh, program, uh, of course, together with my team at the OECD within um, a division that deals with urban policies and sustainable development. And this program is dedicated to cities and regions as the role of subnational government uh, and in particular local and regional government is really key in um, designing and implementing an effective uh, transition towards a circular economy. May I ask you when did you start this program? We started the program in 2018, uh, so it's been two years. In two years, we managed to work with six between cities and countries in Spain, in the Netherlands, in Sweden, in Ireland and in the UK. We published a report with more than 50 cities and regions. We analyzed the state of the art of the circular economy, major obstacles and ways forward in terms of policy recommendations. We developed a scoreboard to help countries, cities and regions to self-assess 
their levels of governance conditions enabling the circular economy. And we also created a network that is called OECD Roundtable on the Circular Economy in Cities and Regions, which is a network that gathers twice a year. Uh, lately has been gathering virtually, of course, due to the COVID situation. And during these gatherings, we discussed with experts from the public, the private and non-for-profit sectors about the latest uh, on the circular economy, so solutions, uh, innovations, indicators, uh, main issues like, for example, the need of data. And it's a very nice platform to really have different point of view because as we, we argue, the circular economy is really a shared responsibility. So mm -hmm. even if the OECD works mainly with governments and support governments in defining long-term strategies and visions for, for the transition from a linear to a circular economy, in reality, the implementation of a, an economy that is a circular, so which means that mm -hmm. it maintains resources at use at their most, reducing or minimizing the production of waste and then transforming waste once it is produced into resources is really something that has to be implemented and operationalized by business and citizens and mm -hmm. all the stakeholders that play a role in every kind of economy. Yes. May I say that you're like an enabler, so you give the suggestions and then you make some matchmaking so that they actually are able to implement them? Maybe I see ourselves more like a facilitator as this kind of uh, case studies that we performed in different cities uh, in Europe, for example, really allowed a dialogue, a multi-stakeholder dialogue across several stakeholders that probably not every time used to talk to one another. So when you gather around the table, representatives from government, business sectors, or even from the business sector, but different part of the value chain, and then you have consumers, and then you have associations, environmental associations, and so on. Mm -hmm. You really, you really have different perspectives, and the solutions should take into account not only the objectives that each of these group or these stakeholders have, but also the constraints and also the, their expectation towards what the circular economy can really bring in their own life, in their own activities, and what can change in terms of policies. So in the various activities that you have been conducting through the program, what would you say are some of the main, let's say, challenges that you see cities or, or even, let's say, national or supranational governments addressing or in any case posed with recently? Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. Thank you for this question, which is actually something that is very relevant for cities as and regions starting the transition, the understanding of what the obstacles are and, of course, what are the solutions to overcome these obstacles. One thing I can tell you is that from the survey that we carried out across these 50 cities, there are some issues that 
emerge that are in common, even when you look at cities from different size, located in different geographical contexts, or that have a different level of advancement towards a circular economy. In particular, the challenges are of financial nature. Uh, a vast majority of the cities that we surveyed report challenges related to insufficient funding or financial risks. And this would imply that it's true that there are lots of initiatives and projects that are related to the circular economy. And again, in relation to minimization of waste or keeping the, the value, keeping the use of resources, this is really the basic of the circular economy. It's not so much about what you do once the waste has been produced, so the downstream phase of uh, the process by is the upstream, how to avoid and how to make sure that the policies, for example, in relation to eco-design are in line with these objectives. So when there are insufficient fundings, it means that the projects that can be implemented are of a small scale or maybe they are not uh, sustainable during the long run and they are not uh, scalable. And when this is the case, it means that um, this kind of project are not able to achieve the needed change and the needed mm. impact from a social, economic and environmental point of view. Then I mentioned eco-design and this led me to another important obstacle which is related to the regulation as the regulation is not completely ready yet to support the innovation. Many stakeholders we talked to, they even have difficulties in understanding how they can reuse something that by the regulation is defined as waste but mm. for their own activity it actually can be reused and this can be also a piece of wood for example in the construction sector or it can be any other plastic material that could be reused but that by regulation is defined as a waste and when it comes to eco-design there is a lot of attention in terms of energy efficiency but there is less attention in terms of material efficiency and then there is another obstacle which is very important and this is mostly related to awareness and the cultural barriers that also represent a challenge as many people don't exactly know, also professional, don't exactly know what the circular economy is, what the costs or the benefits are and how they can really participate in this change, in this transition, what is their role and what they can do concretely. And so all these dialogues that we carried out across the cities, regions or at country level really are also helping in raising this awareness and building capacities across uh, a number of people. Okay, so the challenges are, are, are many. Let's say insufficient funds or the financial risk of implementing actions or initiatives that promote a circular economy might not necessarily be viewed as profitable, so people are less likely to invest in them or they're considered more financially risky in terms of returns or something like that, so they steer clear of these kinds of opportunities as well as the, um, let's say, regulation immaturity that prohibits the reuse of certain materials rather than allowing them to be reintegrated into the production cycle. 
Uh, and then again, let's say a lack of clarification in terms of the roles of different stakeholders in the process of promoting a circular economy, right? Well, yes, in terms of regulation, it's, it's mostly the fact that regulation doesn't necessarily go hands in hands in with all the types of innovations required by the circular economy. In terms of reuse, for example, there are many progress also from the, the, the European Commission in particular. But in other cases, it's still difficult to have a clear understanding of what the different sectors within a circular economy approach need in terms to to make this happen. When we talk mm. about the circular economy, we talk about food. And for example, there are very recent legislation now in relation to food waste and to the need of giving to organizations, for example, surplus food. But this is very recent. In, in France, it was 2019 and 2020. Same for Ireland. Other sectors are, for example, construction and uh, demolition. Other sectors within the circular economy strategies are water, uh, energy, or even textile, and even the cultural event, for example. All of these activities that have an economic impact and that have also to deal with economic agents can become circular when they use the material in a certain way. And they also have a, a conception of waste as a resource. So as you can see, adapting the regulation to all these different aspects is definitely not an easy task. And now that citizen regions are starting and increasingly to pay attention to these opportunities, they are also uh, facing regulatory obstacles. So in some cities that we are working with, the, the idea is really to take into account these obstacles and also have a dialogue with national government because not every time cities and regions have responsibilities to change or to adapt the regulations. Sometimes it's a responsibility at national level and that's why this dialogue is important. May, may I add another question? Building upon this, basically, as far as I understood, uh, you're working uh, uh, mostly uh, in the citizen region, uh, let's say, area. You, you also told that uh, you, you talk at the national level, mm-hmm. but you're focused on a more local scale. And I know that uh, you recently uh, released a report on the circular economy in citizen regions. First of all, I would love to know which are the, the if you can summarize the major findings. And secondly, I would love to know uh, your opinion, which is the, the role that local authorities are playing in the transition from a linear and circular economy. Okay, so the main findings of this report, I can summarize the, some of the messages that I find interesting. The first is that the circular economy, it is really about economy. So there is nowadays often misunderstanding or confusion of the concept and where this is leading to. So it has to be clarified that it's not a synonym of recycling and that cities and regions are really using this circular economy approach to increase, for example, the number 
number of jobs, so to create jobs opportunities for the potential for economic growth that the circular mm-hmm. economy has, and also in terms of the consequences from material savings. So while climate change is one of the major drivers for cities to apply circular uh, economy, uh, in reality, circular economy, it is about how economic activities, services and infrastructure in cities can change. Another important message is that the circular economy is definitely not a new concept. As I mentioned, we found this in the economic literature since the 60s and the 70s, but it is an incipient concept, especially for institutions and at, at especially at subnational level. In fact, the cities that we have interviewed, out of 50, only 10% is perceived as advanced towards a circular economy because they have established long-term visions and a series of initiatives really to change the regulation, to adapt financial tools, to build capacities. But the majority is still a newcomer, so meaning that they are working now towards having a better understanding of what they can actually do and how they can scale up pilots and experimentation they are putting in place. In fact, 84% of the cities that we surveyed, they are starting with this piloting. And this is the third message is that start up and scale up. So it is okay to start with pilots, to start with experimentation that, for example, would prove that modular buildings make sense from an economic or environmental point of view, that local food production and short value chain or markets in relation to food production and consumption can have benefit uh, from a social and economic and environmental point of view. So they can be experimented and piloted at a small scale, but then they have to scale up. Otherwise, the impact would not be as expected. And then the last message is really that to make this happen, what we found as a result of these surveys that it's not so much about the lack of technical solution that is worrisome for cities and regions mm-hmm. not to find the proper solution for the circular economy, but it's really about the governance. So they know how to treat waste, they know how to better design products that can last longer, they know how to make synergies across water, energy, in order, for example, to use something that is an output for a sector, an input for another sector. There are examples of urban and industrial symbiosis, but the point is really how to put this in place. And again, governance in terms of capacities, regulation, financing, policy coherence, awareness raising, data monitoring, information, all this is what really is a challenge for cities. Okay, so taking, let's say, not necessarily the fact that they they don't have the instruments, they don't have the means with which to implement circular economy practices. There's a lack of responsibility or willingness to take on the responsibility of adapting these measures. Is that, would you say that would, is an accurate statement? So 
it is not a lack of responsibility in the sense that uh, cities are willing to transition from uh, um, a linear to a circular economy, at least the cities with which we have been working in the last two years. So there is also strong political commitment and a willingness uh, to have a better understanding of what the possibilities are. But when it comes to the responsibilities, this is very much experimental in many cases. So for example, in some cases, uh, the circular economy strategy uh, or long-term view is taken over by a department on sustainability and climate change, in other cases about innovation, in other cases about economy, and there there's need to be a coordination across all these departments. But when it comes to the responsibility, it can be that by law, to make these things working in different sectors, and I mentioned construction, water, energy and waste, the responsibility is shared across the levels of government. So there is no way that the city can, for example, change a law that has a national vocation, but they right. can also, but they can do something like changing planning, adapting strategies or detailed regulation that are applied at a local level. The problem is that this kind of innovation is very scattered and it's very difficult to coordinate all these efforts. Is that correct? Coordination is a challenge indeed. Okay, which is the role of local authorities in this? Because you said that uh, they're a lot involved <laughs> in the transition. And for example, now you just said that, that there are things that, that they cannot do, mm-hmm. but others that they can do. Mm-hmm. So would you like to, to build a little more on this? Sure. So cities, we have identified three main roles that they can have as uh, promoters of the circular economy, as uh, facilitators and as enablers. So as a promoters, it means that cities can lead by example. So meaning that they have to put in practice what they, they preach in terms of applying sustainable waste management or, for example, using public procurement for circular business models, like, for example, moving from ownership to services, even when it comes to public lights. They can promote the circular economy, establishing goals and targets, and also promoting a a circular economy culture, which means raising awareness through communication campaign and so make this concept something that is real and that is easy to understand from the point of view of the citizens and the consumers at large. Cities can also facilitate connections and dialogues. We talked about the connection that they have with the national governments. They have to coordinate in this sense, but they also have to facilitate stakeholders' dialogue. So make sure that the business sector is involved, that the operators of services like, for example, water, energy and waste are applying circular economy practices and, of course, also using 
what we call a functional approach to the circular economy, which means that even if we are talking about cities, the cities are not just closed ecosystems and isolated ones. So they have to make sure that also their activities in terms of production and consumptions are well coordinated with the rural areas, for example. And one thing is to foster rural urban linkages and partnerships. And finally, they can enable appropriate governance conditions. And in this case, is about regulation, financing, capacity building, but also innovation. And when I talk about innovation, it's not only technical, but it is also social and institutional one. And then really pay attention on data and evaluation as only by monitoring and having and taking into account the progress, really the changes over time in terms of quantity and quality can lead to better decisions for the future. And may I ask in your studies, which of the three roles have the major impact, at least from the data we have right now? They need to be three coordinated roles, do you see one of these uh, as uh, one of the most important one, or...? No, we think uh, that this is part of the policy cycle. So these are basically the 12 governance conditions through which a circular economy system can take place in, in a city or in a region. So when we talk about the system, it, it is really uh, making sure that Nothing is decided in silo, as it is usually the case, but that synergies across policies, across sectors, across stakeholders can really happen. So there is no such a way to calculate the impact now of applying the governance conditions, but the impacts can be calculated in relation to the actions that will be put in place thanks to the existence of the right governance conditions. Without this, it, it is very difficult to achieve a circular economy transition, so a really a systemic change. What you will have without the proper governance condition in place are projects or a specific program or specific initiatives that might be fragmented over the long run or they can are not likely to last longer because they may miss not only fundings but also the proper regulation that would allow them to last in the future. So what we are talking about here is that any project in relation to the use of material, the minimization of waste or the regenerative economy is definitely something positive and welcome from different stakeholders, whether it is the public, the private or the non-for-profit sector. But what we are saying here is that to make things really change, to achieve this transition, we have to think in systemic terms and to do the proper governance conditions should be put in place. 
So with regards to the level of preparedness or flexibility and capability to implement some of these sustainable circular economy practices that, that we've been talking about, what city or even regional institutions do you see as the best positioned or even the best practice to even look to as an example for listeners who are curious to see who's at the avant-garde when it comes to the implementation of these things. Who would you, in, in your point of view, from what you've seen through the various activities that you've carried out through the program, who do you see as the, the city or regional government that's most well-positioned? In terms of examples? Exactly. So there are many, many varied examples all around the world of cities that are taking various initiatives towards this transition to a circular economy. In Europe, we have examples from the city of Amsterdam, London and Paris that have been kind of pioneers when it comes to a circular economy long-term visions. They have included in their either strategies or roadmap a series of actions in relation on how to change, for example, the construction sectors, so looking mm. at how to design buildings, how to, not only regarding to energy efficiency, but also to material efficiency, how to uh, account for the material that are used in, in building, in new buildings, and that, that can actually be reused once the building would not be anymore in use. So during this uh, end of life, there are some examples of modular buildings that then can be basically moved in different neighbors or in different areas accordingly to the purpose. And there is so much attention on avoiding building new and repurposing existing buildings mm. for a different purpose. As for most of the time of the buildings themselves, they are not actually used 100% and the construction of new buildings, of course, requires the use of materials. This use of material that is very much detrimental, let's say, from a resource-efficient point of view, as most of the global material in use, it is definitely destined to the construction sector. And, and you can imagine in cities where people live, this is where the construction happens. Same case for the food sector, there are lots of examples in relation to food waste battles, for example, in Groningen in the Netherlands, or there are uh, many examples of urban uh, agriculture, like in Canada, and you can name it. These practices are very inspiring for cities that want to have a better understanding of what the, this transition consists of, but also to have an understanding of how these examples can be applied applied to their uh, existing economic conditions. Those are great examples, and I'll definitely go and do my homework to study them when I, when I listen again to this uh, episode. But as you said before, when it comes to taking action and put in place some cases like, like those, it's definitely something which comes from the private sector, the, the public sector, so, and so on and so forth. But then, as you said, there's a, a very strong role connected to the 
the regulation in general and uh, to the role of policymakers. So I would have a couple of questions about that. You already said that the local authorities are pushing a lot toward this transition. But in general, I would love to know how do you see policymakers dealing with this transition? And also another question connected to this. How do you think that the political dynamics do influence this transition? Are those connected? I think everything is very much connected when it comes to the circular economy. What we used, for example, to analyze this connection is something that we call a three P's framework. So it's about people, policies and places. And this is really to highlight that there is no way of achieving this transition without uh, a joint actions uh, between the public sectors and the private sector mm -hmm. and of course across those that produce and those that consume these products. That's why it is and I, I highlighted the importance of, of the dialogue and the importance of sharing responsibilities across different stakeholders in different stages of the of, of this economic system. So if you think of any economic system, there are interactions in the market that should be taken into account. For example, this is something that may be also an issue in the case of the circular economy when it comes to taxation and when it comes to price of raw materials compared to the price of secondary materials. This is something to be taken into account from government, but also from the private sectors. We mentioned issues in relation to, to regulation, but also issues in relation to social aspects of uh, this economic system. There is so much talking about, and rightly so, about the just transition as one of the consequences of moving towards a carbon neutral and the circular economy would also imply studying and analyzing the consequences in terms of job losses and job creations and so make a balance across the winners and the losers if we can call the consequences of the carbon neutral and circular economy this way but also in terms of inequalities and justice across people. Many times we heard that any product that, for example, reflects quality standards or uses secondary materials rather than primary materials or uses renewable energies rather than fossil fuels can be more expensive than other products that are produced using resources that are cheaper on the market. So. Having an understanding of these balances and all the consequences of these choices also on people that are consumers, it's really important to make sure this system would be concretely implemented on the ground. Right. Okay. I just have, I guess, one last question before we close. So I guess going forward, what is your prediction in terms of eventual evolution of international economies uh, and in relation to the circular economy model? 
So this is the, the this is the one million dollar question. Exactly. <laughs> I wish I wish I had an answer, but I can't predict the future. Well, what I can say is that there is an increasing interest from cities and regions to look into concrete solutions towards this transition. I believe there is an increasing political willingness, there is an increasing awareness from the consumer's point of view. They care about quality, they care about environmental consequences. The private sector is increasingly innovative. We saw it also during this very difficult time of the pandemic, whereby businesses even changed their own production and the business models, they use the digital tools much more. So there are changes that can be more radical. There are changes that can be disruptive and that can be scalable. And I think the future will look exactly like this. There will be a more environmental awareness in conjunction, so in jointly with economic growth. So in terms of decoupling economic growth from environmental consequences of these economic choices. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that's a good answer to the million dollar question. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 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 That conversation has been super interesting and I would love to last for another 30 minutes. Unfortunately, uh, we're running around of time. Uh, thank you, Anthony, for costing me and adding value to this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, thank you, Rihanna. It has been a real pleasure to have you here today and to listen to your experience and your thoughts about the uh, circular economy and uh, how you see the future of circular economy. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode, and I hope to have you back to listen to the next episode of the Road to Forest Valley podcast. Bye-bye.